Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. (laughs) And today we're talking a movie from 2022 available on Netflix. Death Slog Through the Mud. War is hell. All quiet on the Western Front. I'm Western Nix Nuis. So did you start it and run through with the dub all the way? Nope. I switched I switched out of the dub probably 20 minutes in when the, I'm assuming like the headmaster or whatever the school is giving that rousing patriotic speech and all of the young privates or whatever are like all excited and naive. Yeah. I was like, this dub is so distracting. Yeah, it was so weird. I switched. Because they do a very conscious thing, I think, where they don't show the speaker's mouth for an extended period of time. So it kind of could float, maybe. Actually, we weren't sure for a little bit. And then once we were, we switched it. Yeah, it was more authentic. I mean, dubber dudes also have the unique advantage in this case of having like a pristine sound booth and Starbucks and stuff. And they weren't like really dirty. So maybe something got lost. Exactly. Uh, And I only say dudes because I don't think there was a single woman in this whole movie. Oh, interesting. They were the seamstresses. Oh, yeah. There's a whole fleet of seamstresses. Why would they bother, if they're just going to recycle the uniforms and make people feel bad about it, why would they bother to personally label the uniforms in the first place? I imagine that's what, that was an aftermarket touch. Heinrich was like, I'm going to label my uniform so that nobody else steals my jacket. Well, there were lots of labels on the floor. Uh, Yeah, all that were all personally applied. Yeah, okay. But also a convenient touch uh, for the dog tags to break in half. I was like, oh, that's distinctly German or whatever. We didn't have that. But uh, apparently Mm. that wasn't really a thing. It was like only very specifically used and they just broadly used it for the movie. Splittable dog tags. You mean the splittable dog tags aren't historically accurate? Right. Really? Yeah. But also the regiment that Paul was fighting in was a real regiment. Paul's not a real person, but uh, that regiment fought for on the Eastern Front. So what are you going to do? Well, <laughs> a little bit of historical inaccuracy and a little divergent from the novel itself. Isn't Paul the main character based on the author? I'm not sure. The author obviously is a World War One veteran, but Kelly Red mentioned something about the book. And I was like, wait, there's a book? Because I know that there's a 1930s yeah. movie, but she's like, you didn't read this book in high school? And I guess not. You didn't read this book in high school? It's weird, right? Because uh, if, if I did, I don't remember anything about it. And Kelly was recalling certain aspects from the book. And I think it was one of the main reasons she was really hesitant to watch this movie. War themes and content notwithstanding, she was she remembered things that were horrible that she wasn't looking forward to see translating to Netflix. Yeah, I definitely read All Quiet in the West, on the Western Front in high school. I'm not sure of my reading comprehension at the time, but I recalled it as being an American novel, which it it definitely isn't. It's definitely a German novel based on a German soldier's experience. And then I think I remember that the novel became really controversial in during World War II and was like banned and the author had to seek asylum and stuff. Huh. 
But yes, it's a refreshing non-North American take on... What am I talking about? There's nothing refreshing nothing about at all refreshing in this movie, except, <laughs> except the reason it took us so long to decide if it was a dub or if we were just out of sync is because there's very little talking up front. How did these opening shots work for you? The serene foxhole. Oh, foxhole. Get it. And, uh, yep. and the wind in the trees. How did that work for you? Okay. I thought there was a little much of it. <laughs> I got the contrast and all that. I'm wavering on if the first battle scene was necessary. Well, dude, Heinrich had to die and get his uniform recycled. It was an imp- I guess it was an important tone setter, and it was important for us to have that dramatic irony so that we can contrast what we've seen of the front with Paul and his comrades, his like high school friends' excitement. I think that was important. I do wonder, though, if it would have been more effective if we were more with the character I mean, we already know that war is awful and that he's not going someplace pretty. And maybe we could have been along for the ride with Paul a little bit more. Well, I'm going to argue that he was, some, in fact, somewhere pretty. But also, you know how the Internet will do, like, uh, abbreviations or, or uh, condense movies so that they're funny? Or whatever. So that could have been the first battle scene could have been the movie. It could have been Heinrich all like war torn and stuff. And then he like inexplicably leaves his gun and chops that dude with a shovel hatchet. And then it could have been like do 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 with the credits rolling right after. And that would have been this movie basically. Because <laughs> all the rest of the movie is just a little bit more of that. Yeah, it's a lot more of that. And it was, it just kind of alternates between oh, that's horrible. Oh, that's really pretty. Oh, that's horrible. It's a pretty horrible. The whole thing's pretty horrible. It's it's death slog through the mud. Right. We had just seen Heinrich die, and we know it's not going to go well for these dumb kids who are all excited. Paul, as a matter of fact, joined the army, lied about his age because he's all excited and all full of propaganda or whatever got the kids to fight in the world. But it was continually reinforced that this is all for naught, right? They get the goose and they like have their goose feast. And the dude's like, enjoy it while I'll ask for you will all be dead by dawn. It's like, Jesus, right? And they kept on, <laughs> they kept on doing it. They were like bailing out the trenches. I don't think that's a thing with like helmets full of water and stuff. And it's just, it's not, there's no bailing out of the trenches. It's not going to work. It's all an act of futility. Mm. It was like the ancillary operations were the only ones profiting from war, like war is big business, because whoever the coffin maker dude with the generic black coffins, that dude was rolling in it. Because oh, like, yeah. what was the point of, of having thousands upon thousands of identical coffins if you're just going to bury them in a mass muddy grave? True. It was ridiculous. What was the white powder thing they were throwing on the coffins? See, that was my question. Because if we're thinking of Full Metal Jacket, which is where I learned all about war, they put lye on the bodies to to more rapidly decompose them, right? So they're just like, like rotting human corpses. But there's no point in shoveling lye on wooden coffins. Not at all. I was so confused. I guess it looked good, I guess. Like there's so much energy and resources put toward collecting the clothes and processing the bodies and reporting on the dead. And it's amazing to me that that's not all abandoned. I mean, maybe people just do it like out of habit or lack of something to do. Or maybe it's just way more pleasant than actually being on the front. And they're like, yeah, death duty. I'm all about that. Yeah, it's the slow kids from back home. Slow Joe or whatever needs a job. So he's on cleanup duty after the war. And I was kind of surprised because Paul's first exposure to the carnage is going around and collecting the tags. Yep. 
And he seems to take that with a considerable amount of numbness until he finds his friends. For the first time that you're like going around and collecting tags off of bodies, don't you think he would have been emotional like kind of from the start? I don't know, man. War is hell. He's it's part of the thing until it becomes personal. And until it's personal when you find your friends or whatever, it's really not personal, apparently. Like, from the outset, they were, like, marching us to war, and they're, like, all, like, happy and cheering and stuff and singing. And then they're, like, let's shoot those dudes and eat all their food or whatever. It doesn't, it's not like a, you know, the horror of war until a few years in. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, 18 months in, he's pretty, he's pretty battle-hardened and worn and seems resigned to his kind of fate. But I talked it up, too. He's just in shock. That's awfully early for shock. Well, he, you know, it was a traumatic beginning. He gets trapped underneath the rubble and he wakes up and is like, was it all a dream? And then he's collecting tags and then he, it brings it all home when he's, when he sees the body. Shock definitely set in because he wandered around this movie a lot of the time, shell-shocked, where he'd have to get into bursts of action or whatever and be like, all right, Paul, snap out of it because you got stuff to do. Yeah, so a lot of wandering around, a lot of really horrendous war battle scenes. Some moments of levity with the soldiers and their camaraderie. But really, all in all, this is a straightforward, war is bad, complete lack of subtext movie. In my opinion, there's nothing going on under the surface in All Quiet. Yeah, they're they're shaking and they're quaking and dirt is raining down and they're scared and they're calling for their moms and stuff. That's what's happening under the surface in war-torn France. Germany occupied (laughs) war-torn France. And then they go, I mean, it was like a war procedural. It was like an instructional video or whatever. This is what you will face. And I'm not sure which one of you is going to get it, but one of you is going to get run over by a tank and it's going to be horrible. Imagine being the one dude that got rolled over by the tank. That though, they're the biggest, lamest, slowest things on the battlefield. (laughs) I mean, if you get rolled over by a tank, you probably really couldn't help it. I guess not. But I was like, that dude is going to be mocked in the afterlife, in the be- in the Beetlejuice-style waiting room. Oh, that's horrible. So when you, you know, if 20 or 30 minutes into this film, or maybe even sooner, you get the takeaway, war is bad, then what? I feel like we're forced to turn to the filmmaking and to numb out ourselves and to view this as a feat, as like a Saving Private Ryan-esque of cinematic of cinema of filmmaking and it was beautiful war-torn france sure is beautiful but no we spent once we learn that war is bad then we spend most of the movie trying to stop war and you know when daniel brule shows up he's important because he's a veteran of three wars now three wars in the short time since we've seen him as frederick zoller in inglorious bastards that was world war ii here he's he plays an actual person in world war one who was trying to stop the war and actually when hitler came to power the people who ultimately became the ss assassinated him because of his anti-war crap and they didn't want to deal with him and he was in captain america civil war wow three-time war veteran daniel Brohl kind of have a crush on him a little bit okay even with the mustache it was weird yeah he's kind of he's a little stocky now too but you knew he was going to be a good guy (laughs) i knew when you saw him that he'd be a good guy yeah i guess i'm into the dad bod now 
Well, and the Daniel Burlness. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think Paul was one of the, was the protagonist maybe we needed. There are those memes and stuff online, like the face of war. It's not like the face of meth, which is infinitely worse. But they show the Ugh. person on the first day of deployment and then the first day returning. And they're like all got that thousand yard stare and they're all wrinkled in the wrong places and look sad. And it's traumatizing. That's why I'm not going to war. And their faces caked with mud. Oh, my God. He was. And I couldn't really tell sometimes if it was. I mean, I should have. But I wasn't tracking this dude so much. And he was so. I called him Dirty Steve because he just was never not dirty. And like when it really got down to it, when he had to kill the dude in the, the defilade, the, the bomb hole with the water in it, he looked like the bottom layer of baklava. He was just unnecessarily dirty. Yeah, like you would think if you're crawling around in the puddles and stuff, you would get less dirty than that. You can't call him Dirty Steve. That's what you called the the Predator in the Hulu Predator movie. Yeah, Dirty Paul was really dirty and really gross in a movie that was really dirty and really gross, but also strangely beautiful. And we have these haunting images of a peaceful France or whatever. I'm not sure. I really think, like, you know how when we have the fires in California, it's like, oh, but all the smoke makes for beautiful sunsets. It's all like primeval <laughs> those, looking. Those weird dinosaur, yeah, right. apocalyptic sunsets. And the freaking the gas and and all the battle smoke and stuff makes for really pretty forest shots. I wouldn't, it maybe wouldn't be the same without war. A lot of atmosphere. But yeah, but we're coming down to war is bad, okay, and then we're just sort of wallowing in it, quite literally, like in the dirt with the dude that he stabbed six times. This is like hell of his own making. You stab the dude. And then we're all like, comrade, you'll be okay, comrade, or whatever. You have to kill that dude. Put him out of his misery? Because he's annoying everybody like the beach. Kill him because the dead don't gurgle. It would be more merciful. You can't have an attack of conscience while the dude is dying. But that's this weird code of honor thing that happens in wars and battles where it's like you can't you know, can't shoot an unarmed man. Or, you know, if you find one of your enemies, you know, not in battle and somehow it's your responsibility to get them help. It's very confusing. Yeah. Blondie said it best. Who? Blondie. Blondie. Good, the bad and the ugly. Never seen so many men wasted so badly. And so when we face the horrors of war, it all becomes arbitrary. And it's just like, you can't latch on to anybody, Paul included, I'm going to argue, because everybody's going everybody's gonna to die. And so they, on the other side, they have to come to an arbitrary agreement and on their little train with their little train strudel or whatever. And then they're just going to be like, nah, not today, bro. And, you know, like they have to come back and do it again. It's just, it's all arbitrary yep. and frustrating. You're talking about the end, like that that final attack 15 minutes before the armistice? Oh, that's nothing would make me more mad. I'd be the one dude who'd be like, oh, no, I twisted my ankle. I can't go, guys. Sorry. It's fine. In like three hours, the armistice will be in effect anyway. Go on without me. Like 11,000 people died after the armistice was agreed upon, but before it was actually enacted. Yeah, I, I think that um, had Cat survived the goose farmer son's shooting Ugh. then maybe paul would have put up a fight but he was at that point such a shell of a person such a i mean he was just a ghost going into war he was battle hardened he was more than resigned to that last battle it was like it was almost like it made the most sense to him as like the conclusion to his tour and he just went in with a, a vengeance I, I was what i the only thing i was surprised about in that battle was how surprised he was when he got stabbed with the bayonet Ugh. 
Yeah, I mean, that's got to be it. The resignation and the shell-shockedness or whatever, because I was totally expecting Dr. Robotnik to get shot. He's like, go on back and kill. We still have time. And somebody would have been like, nah, bruh. That's not, that ain't me, bruh. There was one guy who was like slightly dissenting and then Paul was just like shoving him forward. Do you see that? No, uh, maybe I was shell shocked. (sighs) And I'm not sure what makes All Quiet on the Western Front 2022 important necessarily, but it it seems like an awful waste. Like if you're going to go to war, you're going to fight it out for years or whatever. And if the war doesn't kill you, then the children of the corn will kill you in the forest for stealing their goose or whatever. It's really frustrating. And then he carries him all that way and he like dies as he's being put on the table or on the cot or whatever for treatment. And uh, and it, it, even if you survive the war, you don't survive the war. Kelly Ray, she got through everything okay because as she put it, there weren't really entrails or people holding their limbs and walking around looking for other parts of their bodies or whatever. As we've seen in other films. Yeah, and she's fine and didn't freak out until Jaden Jaden royally forked himself. And then she was like, oh. How did he die? He forked himself in the neck, the happening style. Oh, right. Because he he couldn't. What was it that he couldn't bear? The thought of returning wounded? Not just as a wounded veteran or whatever, but I guess there's some kind of stigma where it's worse than death almost in a Lieutenant Dan kind of way. Man, I learned everything about war from movies. <laughs> How many war movies have you referenced? <laughs> many. But uh, like as an amputee or whatever was really shameful. And he, <sighs> he waited. He said, we brought you soup. And he's like, oh, yeah. Did you bring silverware? You got any cutlery? Why they brought the fork for the soup? I'm not sure. But it definitely worked. Because he would have Robin Hood style killed himself with a spoon, given the opportunity, right? Robin of Loxley, I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon. Why a spoon, cousin? Because it'll hurt more. R.I.P. Alan Rickman. You know, I got to say, man, it's horrible or whatever, but at least he did his own thing, went out on his own terms. Because Paul, Paul, like, they felt the same thing. No, uh, Yadin, the guy who forked himself. Oh. Because it wasn't it Paul who said the dead dudes, at least they're at peace and we're alive. And, of course, he only finds peace in death as we do the slow push on him at the end or whatever. But And the other dude was like, I'm just a pair of boots with a rifle. Goose man. Cat. Yeah, talk to me, goose. Cat. Talk to me, goose. <laughs> you know what? It's... <sighs> This was so 1917 in that you know that as soon as they start talking, hopefully, about returning to their buxom wives. A hundred percent. Cat was never going to make it to Christmas. There's there's no way. I mean, spoiler, but in 1917, he's like, what is he starts talking, hopefully, and you're like, he's dead. (laughs) You just can't. You You can't jinx yourself. And you know that the filmmakers are just setting you up for a gut punch. Okay, so, but in this case, literally a gut, well, no, a gut, it was like more like a heart stab, or I'm pretty sure he got stabbed directly through the heart, but he soldiered on, get it, for like five more minutes, 
Yeah, so he dies peacefully sitting in the trench. But I didn't feel any, like I wasn't connected to Paul. I'm very sorry. And they went to great lengths and they did. He worked really hard and everybody worked really hard and it looked wonderful and terrible at the same time. I didn't connect with Paul. And he was, his death was exactly the way that it was perceived by the French. He was just another dude. You know, I got that dude. Now get out of my way, dude, because I'm going to keep moving. Nobody going to break on my stride, right? He like stabbed the dude and like peaced out. I don't think we ever really saw the face of of Paul's killer and then he died he was just another dude and he wasn't special he didn't even go on to write the book because he's a fictional character and then he was dead and yep it was a piece and that's the message that we're taking is just war is bad okay and what makes it important to say war is bad now well yeah I don't know the social commentary maybe it's just uh, the Germans getting their say and getting finally the have the classic novel presented in the way that it originally should have been I do think that it's even all these years later, right, it's probably a part of German identity that people would like to see less of or like to shrug off completely, but still a part of the war, the history of wars, probably a part of, you know, every modern day German identity and and maybe making the definitive film from a German perspective was a necessary kind of cathartic event or a way to dispel some of those demons or or ghosts or what have you I mean I remember when I first saw Life is Beautiful and Roberto Benigni was like jumping on the chairs and stuff I was like that's an amazing movie and I was all of like I don't know what 20 19 or 20 or something like that and then I was like without even thinking I was like Jeanette we should watch this movie and I seriously put it on for Jeanette, who is a German citizen. And she was like, that was really hard. And I was like, what? Like so oblivious to what that experience must be like for a German to watch it. And what am I trying to say about all this? Um... <laughs> your, your innocence, your life is beautiful. And, uh, and the, the unique American perspective of, of making everything, even the worst things, palatable which is what all quiet on the western front tried to do <laughs> so here's how i'm going to summarize all quiet on the western front and it's open for interpretation are you ready go cat collects the the beetle i'm like oh yep. it's his little pet or whatever he's got a little beetle in a box it's his friend it's the equivalent of the dude talking creepily to the poster and you know the creepy poster man is going to die right and that poster is going to long outlive him oh for sure and then he opens up the box again and the beetle crawls out and I was like, dude, that beetle is still alive. And Kelly Ray was like, that was like yesterday. It was like <laughs> six years in wartime that we went through. <sighs> and everybody dying, getting shot and getting crushed by tanks like grapes. And then he pulls out the beetle again. And I was like, how did the beetle survive six years of war? It was like the day before <laughs> that he collected him. The timelines get warped big time because, first of all, supposedly Paul and his comrades join early in the war, whereas in the novel they join pretty late. But you can't join a war late and be that naive. Yeah. Right. They had to play with the timeline so that they can be like, oh, like, yeah, 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 we're going to go and we're going to have wear iron crosses and bear our badges of honor and water the fields of the future of the motherland or whatever. The fatherland. Isn't that weird that they say fatherland instead of motherland? A little bit, but it was under the Kaiser or whatever, right? What, and the Kaiser is just like all patriarchal or something? I don't know. Anyway, and so they play with that timeline and then they play with the 
then they play with our perceived timeline of wartime where apparently years of death accumulate in one day. But that's the thing, I guess, apparently. Like, the, the warping of time is a real condition that soldiers refer to that they lose oh, all yeah. sense of you know it's, it's this weird it's a non-stop you lose all sense of reality or perspective because you're just you know you're shuttled around you're not moving by your own devices people are telling you where to go who to stab what to do and then you eat when you can or whatever there's, there's got to be a thing like there should be a study about meals as presented in war movies like the strudel in Inglorious Bastards and stuff and eating these lavish meals. Maybe it's like them consuming the, you know, it's all just dead meat to them and they consume it as they see fit and they live in these luxurious, luxurious trains and stuff and don't have to be part of the battlefield. Yep. And yet they're making all of the battlefield decisions. I think that was an interesting parallel. In my opinion, the meat dudes, the dudes who were dead meat, they were the luckiest ones. Like the dude... When they threw the, uh, remember he like charged, he was like the first one out of the foxhole or whatever. He's like, let's go guys. Boom. And he was just red mist. Yes. Oh, the guy who, where he's like, stop. And then he just gets vaporized. Yeah, luckiest dudes in war. That dude was dead before he even had an inkling he was in danger. He just, he ceased to exist. And he was the lucky one. The unluckiest ones are the gurgly dudes in the pit who take like 15 minutes of scream time to die. But some of those dudes were really lucky you're running and you're charging and you're you're advancing to your victory or whatever and then you're gone just red mist yeah it's weird when a headshot's merciful yeah that's just counterintuitive yeah you know it's the protagonist or whatever the person we're following anyway when every single person around him dies on the battlefield they're charging as <sighs> one in a giant group and then bam that dude falls and boom that guy gets blown off screen and then it's just him <laughs> If you can get past just the, if you numb out early enough, I think that this film is very well set up. You know, the cat character who's introduced pretty early on says 20 minutes into the movie to Paul, it's like this every day. And he's not kidding. <laughs> and it, and pretty much everything that follows is like what we saw in the first battle scene or the first 10 minutes of the film. Yeah, I did. But you I, didn't feel for the cat character? Not really i mean sure i it, it was weird kelly's like i don't know why we're like rooting for the germans but we were really hoping he would get his goose feast and we were really hoping he would get home to see his wife and, and all that stuff and, and yeah i didn't want him to die but i also viewed it as a weird saving private ryan numbed out curiosity i did numb out really quickly none of the deaths meant anything to me paul included except to make me angry i was like well he's dead and we sure was worth it i guess at least in saving private ryan the mission was the man at least in 1917 the idea was to reach in time to stop this giant thing from moving forward just unnecessarily to save a lot of lives because they were going into certain death i'm not sure why we were on the western front in 2023 just cautionary tale let's not recreate this with fascist leaning politics yeah <laughs> yeah what was it the, this is the the perfect the movie for our the the comedy for our time or whatever the triangle of sadness <laughs> yeah yeah the hundred this is a hundred and ten year old triangle of sadness that we should definitely never revisit so Academy Award nominated All Quiet on the Western Front. Do you think it has a chance? And what is your final rating? I think like 1917, it is perfectly positioned 
to be nominated. Like, I'm not surprised that it was nominated because it looks appropriately terrible and beautiful and wonderful and awful at the same time. I just, and I don't think it was the German aspect of it. I really don't. I just think it, it like war was a slog and I didn't really have time. I would, I would be one of those soldiers who's not friendly who's all like quiet and why doesn't he talk? It's because he, he thinks we're all going to die and there's no reason for him to make friends with us. Because that's kind of who I was in this movie. I didn't care about anyone. And I was like, God, he's dirty. Just wipe your face a little, man. But everybody died or whatever. And I was like, please kill him faster so he'll stop making noise. It was frustrating and annoying more than it was heartrending and emotional for me. Because I'm a battle-hardened movie watcher. Or whatever but it wasn't poorly made by any stretch of the imagination very expensive and looked great and there were flamethrowers and real tanks and stuff and i was like whoa and that was whoa and it was like two and a half hours of like whoa war is bad but it didn't make me mad it was well done i just don't exactly see the point it's very close to the line very close but as movie goes like you were talking technically speaking it was a really well done movie it just kind of made me frustrated at war and in that way is an anti-war movie i guess thinking about it like that maybe i'll give it a passing rating with an all right like an amputee all right and coming back in shame all right like i don't feel great about it i acknowledge the sacrifices that were made but that doesn't mean if i feel good about it <laughs> an amputee all right yeah. Should I put that on the poster no that's not the poster quote it's insensitive to people who've been dead for a hundred years all right the question lingers why all quiet on the western front i get it a cinematic challenge and in this case a cinematic achievement torture's bad like in the torture report war is bad like in all quiet on the western front you know there are big time war aficionados who are like all into this stuff and like are going to be all into this movie um just not me. I'm going to kind of, I'm from a neutral, unemotional filmmaking perspective. I think this movie's good. It was actually kind of mesmerizing it from a viewing perspective, but just a lot to take and very, to use your term, unpleasant. So can I give it a critical good and a personal boring? Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right on the edge. And there you got it. An all right from Wes, a, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. should I add a yeah, in between? <laughs> good and boring <laughs> from iris that's our discussion on all quiet on the western front a movie um, from 2022 available on netflix definitely recommend checking this out with subtitles and not doing the dub unless you're into that kind of thing don't be like cat cat has to have someone else read his wife's letters to him on the crapper learn to read embrace the subtitles uh, i don't think he even crapped i think he just pulled down his pants so he can sit down yeah it's just so camaraderie with your pants down <laughs> that's how guys do wesley referenced a lot of war movies here and that's because he watches a lot of movies and we watch a lot of movies many of which we have discussions about at or whatever movies.com or wherever you get podcasts so 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com that's how you get in touch with us thanks for listening and we'll see you next time
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.